everyone and welcome to episode 2 of Her Ikigai. On this episode, I have a guest speaker with me, Dan Nakvi, who will be talking about his own experience with mental health and anxiety and advice that he would give to other men. So keep listening and I hope you guys enjoy. So hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Hair Ikigai. Actually on today's episode I've got a guest speaker with me, um, Dan. We went to the same university and we studied geography together and I've got him with me today to talk a little bit more about mental health for men and his own experience and just we're just going to have a conversation and you guys can listen along. Yeah, so hi everyone, my name is Daniel Nakwi. Um, as Hamida said, we graduated from Queen Mary in geography, I'm currently a master's student at UCL uh, and I'm a co-founder of Blooms for Ethos which is a social value education and consultancy company. So I'm really happy and thank you Hamida for inviting me along today. Cool. <laughs> so um, I wanted to use this kind of episode to talk a little bit more about mental health for men because um, mm. in my workplace I had le- like really interesting conversations with people um, and a lot of people have been talking about how it's quite difficult for men to be able to express their emotions. Um, I don't know how true that is but I have kind of seen that myself where I guess it's quite difficult to openly talk about difficult experiences that you've had or like when you've, you know, recently cried or, you know, like I feel like there's kind of a taboo around what men can and can't do when it comes to expressing their emotions. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely true. I think there's definitely a perception that men can't talk about uh, certain things related to how they feel. Um, and I don't think that's something that that's going to go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if we're being honest and pragmatic and yep. realistic about it, I don't think that's that's going to disappear. Um, what I think about it more and more so is that um, everyone's got to really take action for themselves. Yep. Um, and we can encourage that, but we've also got to understand that a lot of what happens in life is very unpredictable. And so doing things that we think have value to us, uh, whether that be, um, you know, one of the things I used to do when I was stressed with exams was I used to just get on a Boris bike, like something very simple, which, you know, near death experiences, sometimes going down Myland Road, um, you know, like that that sort of adrenaline rush Mm -hmm. that it was kind of my own personal thing. And that was something that I actually established while I was in counselling, that something I could do to relax was to just go on a Boris bike and ride from Myland to Bank um, to get the train. And so it's just taking these small steps, understanding like what individually you enjoy doing, what you take solace in, and what you feel like reconnects yourself with yourself, yeah. or reconnects yourself to your ikigai, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, so I think it's something that's going to stay. I don't think we can just say, yeah, one day it's going to turn around and go away. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think it, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's necessarily a problem. Yeah. I just think that people need to recognize for themselves that taking action early is just beneficial um, because there are certain groups and certain, you know, like the typical lad type will never stop this type. And, 
there are only, only experiences can get you to a point. So I think yeah, there are there are definitely flaws in the argument of like yeah, just keep it all bottled up. But I don't think personally, and I haven't seen much movement actually in the last three years since I've been talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. It's just been individuals yeah. who then turn the cogs for the rest of the people in yeah. groups. Um, so in my workplace, um, we actually have like these conversations around mental health and we had this really interesting um, speaker actually come in. Um, he's blind, mm-hmm. but he wasn't always blind. So he was a doctor before. Um, and when he was a doctor, he kind of felt like he shouldn't talk about what he's going through because he was always kind of the person that people would go to for mm-hmm. advice and support. He had this really great relationship with his wife, but there wasn't much communication between them in terms of his own emotions. Um, and so he never really depended on his wife in terms of being able to open up to her about what he went through. He kind of felt like he needed to be the man of the house. Um, and it, Growing up, they didn't really notice the condition that he had, but um, eventually, as he kind of became um, older, I think whilst he was at university, he put a lot of pressure on his eyes. Um, And then when he finally got his job and he was working, um, one day he just had too much pressure applied to his eyes and he went to sleep and then he woke up in the morning and he was just talking to us about what he went through. He literally woke up in the morning and saw nothing. Like his eyes had literally exploded Wow. in his head yeah. um, and his wife woke up and she screamed because he, he, he was just a bloody mess yeah. on the bed um, and he said from then his life literally flipped his life turned around because he had gone from being the person that everyone depended on mm-hmm. to becoming dependent on everyone else sure. and he didn't know how to deal with it because this was the first time he never experienced anything like that um, so, you know, he had to rely on his wife to just do the most basic thing like walking or making himself tea or pouring himself a cup of water. Um, like just things like that were, you know, things that he could do before. And at the beginning, he said, you know, like he, he was quite frustrated. Like he would try to do things by himself because he didn't want to be kind of vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and one day his wife had, so before they used to live quite far away, they, they didn't live in London, but they used to work and travel into London. Mm-hmm. So his wife would be in the office and she'd be working, but her mind would be at home thinking about him. And he, he didn't want to kind of depend on her. So he'd say, okay, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Go to work. Um, and she'd always call him um, and he'd, you know, pick up and he'd respond because he'd have his phone next to him. But one day he decided, actually, I want to go downstairs and make myself tea. I can do this by myself. So he went downstairs and he was pouring himself a cup of hot water And he can't obviously see where the water is, right? So he decided he's going to put his finger inside the cup while he's pouring. Mm. And the water started kind of like reaching the top of his knuckle. And you know, like when when it's burning, like you you kind of lose the sense. So he kind of didn't realize that he was pouring it until it kind of hit his knuckle and it started burning. And he dropped the whole thing on the floor. And he dropped it and he thought, oh, I, well, I know where everything else is around the house. I can just go and get a mop and clean it up. Right. But he was also on drugs at the time right. because of like losing his vision and everything. They needed to give him stuff to be able to kind of deal with it. So he was also on drugs, heavily sedated. So he was quite numb. So he couldn't feel a lot of things around, around him. So he was walking around the house and then sweeping things up and he thought everything was fine. And his wife was calling him. Yeah. And he's obviously blind, so he can't see anything. He can't see where his phone is, so he couldn't even go and get it. So he didn't pick up the phone. His wife back here was panicking. So she left work and came back, drove back. 
and here he is at home thinking that everything's fine yeah. he just cleaned it up she comes in and she's like what the hell because there's a bloody mess on the floor he didn't realize but he stepped on the glass oh. and his feet were cut and everything but he was so numb that he didn't realize wow. it and from then she she was just like no okay we need to do something about this i can't be at work and worrying about you we need to move so they relocated and they found a house in canary wharf right but from then um he realized that he needs to be able to depend on other people right and kind of put down those barriers that for so long he had kind of placed for himself yeah. and so then he uh, got someone to come in and train him how to read um, braille mm-hmm. um, and so he did that and then um, he got someone to kind of like um, help him to get familiar with the house mm-hmm. um, so he did that and then the trainer was like okay you're ready but you need to kind of get familiar with the outside world now mm-hmm. um, so then they gave him a walking stick he went outside and he was telling us about like the worst experiences that he had and one of the experiences was he went um to, he was on his way to work and he was waiting for a train and um he accidentally hit someone's foot with his walking with his stick and the person turned around and slapped the walking stick out of his hand and into the railway wow. and then he said don't hit my shoe and he said i'm blind i can't see i'm sorry i didn't realize and the guy said well you should have seen and it was kind of he 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 just he didn't know how to react to it um and then the guy got on the train and he he was like this was the first time where i felt so hopeless because i didn't know who was around me and because he knocked the stick over i didn't know which direction i was standing in so i couldn't even move I couldn't move forward because I didn't know if the railway was in front of me. I couldn't go behind because I didn't know who was behind me. So I fell to the floor and I started crying. And the worst thing is that when I fell to the floor and I started crying, I could hear people saying, should we help him? But the train was coming and they said, we're going to miss our train. And they got on the train and not a single person stopped to help him. And he cried even more. And he said it felt like about 10, 15 minutes passed until someone, like one of the workers, came and picked him up and asked him if he needed help. But it's not even things like that. It's like people would come up to him and kind of grab his arm and try and like push him out of the way or help him but he he wouldn't be aware of what was around him so he wouldn't know how to kind of deal with that or kids kids would come up to him and kind of spin him around and then say now find your way home so things like that he he would have such difficult days but he would go home and he would cry to his wife so he would sit there and he would actually cry and talk to his wife and say you know this is what i've had today and i've gone through this and he the point of him talking about his whole experience was that it's okay that you can speak to your partner about the things that you're going through even if you're a man you shouldn't feel like you know you have to be the strongest person in the household because before he lost his eyesight him and his wife had a different relationship it wasn't based on having this conversation but now that he's lost his eyesight his relationship with his wife has increased and it's become so much better just because he is able to be that vulnerable person he's mm-hmm. able to open up to her so much more and now she they understand each other on so many different levels mm-hmm. and so, so he often gets asked you know if you could get your eyesight back would you get your eyesight back and he said no mm-hmm. because the way that i see my wife now and the way that my wife sees me we have had such a good relationship and i would not have had this if i didn't have my if i had my eyesight also because i've lost my eyesight now I can see the world so much clearer than when I had my eyesight. And I thought, 
that's just it's so amazing that he could come and like he's in such a vulnerable position but he's able to share his story um and he told us about so many other things like um you know he had to change his job he was a doctor because but he couldn't use his eyesight anymore so he had to change his entire life around and how it was you know having to go from that like having something that you're so passionate about and you've worked so hard towards and then all of that gets taken away from you in one second just because of one thing that's happened um and then he also talked about you know his emotions um related to having a family um because he his him and his wife didn't have a child and then after he's lost he lost his eyesight they found out that she was pregnant. Um, so he was really worried because he was like, how am I gonna raise a child when I can't see it? Mm. Um, so he cried so much with that as well. Um, but again, he had such a great relationship with his wife because when his child was born, mm. his wife was like, the first thing that she did, she had gone through so much pain of giving birth to a kid. And the first thing that she said was, let me describe his face to you. Mm. And she literally described all of his features and everything and he felt like he could see his his son um and she did that every day mm. and he felt like he was there he could mm. see his child and the way that they've taught they've learned all of this and the way that they've kind of put this into their family their son now does the same thing so when he has a really difficult day at work or he has like a really bad day he comes home and his son says dad baba touch my face so he's like, just touch my face. And he touches his face. And he, and he was telling us, like, I touch his face and I feel like all of my pain in the world has just gone away. Mm. And then he told us about, like, vulnerability in terms of relying on other things. Mm. So when he first lost his eyesight, um, you know, he had to go outside and do all of these things. And he was finding it really difficult to cope. Um, and he went to his wife and he was crying. And she thought, how can I help my husband? Um, so outside of her work, she also joined this charity for um, guide dogs. Mm -hmm. um, and um, they had, they decided to sign up for a waiting list. And he thought, how on earth am I going to rely, rely on a dog when I can't even see myself? How is this dog going to help me? So it was, again, putting himself in a position where he had to rely on an animal to help him, mm -hmm. which was kind of degrading for him. Mm -hmm. And then when he came to terms with it, it was like... Um, they had to go on a waiting list mm -hmm. and they said it could possibly take six months to a year for you to actually get a dog and then even then we have to train the dog so it's going to take a really long time um, but things worked in their favor because his wife again she's amazing because she said okay if we're going to get a dog now we need to have a space for the dog mm. so we need to get a, a bigger house with a garden so the dog can move around so they moved houses again mm. um, and then um, whilst they had moved they got a call from the charity and they said we've got a dog but this dog is quite troubled right. <laughs> she doesn't get along with everyone right. um and we've found really difficult to get her to come come and join anyone so we, we can bring her to you but we don't know whether she's going to get along right. with you so they got her over and she was a little puppy at the time and she kind of just sat in the corner and she didn't do anything. She kind of just observed everyone. And he thought, yeah, this isn't going to work. Um, and then they said, okay, why don't you try and bond with her, take her outside? And again, that was him becoming vulnerable again because he's going outside with this dog and trying to depend on her. Um, so they went outside, they went for a walk, and it was okay. Um, and then they said, okay, well, now we have to see whether you can get along with her. So we'll leave her with you over the, over, uh, overnight. Um, so the people basically stayed in a hotel nearby to them. Um, and so he went to sleep. And then in the night, he needed to go to the bathroom. So he woke up 
and he went to the bathroom and the door was locked but he was trying to push it open and then he felt something in front of his legs and the dog was like growling at him and he thought oh what am I supposed to do like I can't move her out of the way um so he called the man and this was like at 3 a.m in the morning and he was really irritated he was like you're a grown man just pick up the dog and move her out of the way and he was just like I can't move her out of the way she's not going and then they came into the room and um they moved the dog out of the way and he walked into the bathroom and the bathroom was flooded so the dog was actually protecting him from going inside and he thought I couldn't even depend on human beings to help me but this dog was protecting me and from then when he made that realization they had this amazing bond the dog's called Kika so he has this whole book about Kika and me and it's about how he built his relationship with the dog so like when they go outside the dog protects him kind of like make sure that he's not walking off of the pavement um and it's again he he talks about his experience and how horrible people can be towards animals because when he goes outside people will jump over the dog when they're on the escalator but that makes the dog nervous or like sometimes when they're on the escalators um the dog goes before him so that she can jump off and then show him where to go but people would just say move out of the way I'm on my I'm going to miss my train and he'd say well I'm blind and this is my this is my guide dog can he just wait and they'd be like no well you should this is inconvenient for me and they people people don't treat people who are blind as human so he'd go home and he'd cry he'd constantly cry to his wife um but yeah the point of me talking about this is like this was just so inspirational because it was the first time where i kind of got to see a, a male figure being so vulnerable and openly talking about it to people um but yeah the reason for why i wanted to speak to you about it is because i i kind of heard like the other podcasts that you do or things that you talk about and you're very open about like mental health and anxiety and all of those kind of things and have you ever experienced anything where you've kind of felt like you were very emotional and you had or you had a difficult experience and were you able to open up to it um with anyone um so so i have a i have a slightly different uh i suppose experience in terms of um in terms of i about 2 years ago uh well about 3 years ago i had my first kind of thing with mental health mm. um and it was while i was in pakistan uh at uh, just visiting family and things like that and uh, one of the things pakistan is known for is getting ill um but i was so ill that i just was like i'm not even going to be able to get on the flight um so i wanted to leave early uh, and i was basically suicidal really to be honest if i'm being really frank about it and i met this psychiatrist who told me one of the best pieces of advice that i've still gotten today which is if you leave the situation now when you're vulnerable and you leave um you know you leave because you can leave you have the means to leave you have the resources to leave it creates a negative feedback loop in your head that you can escape everything that's difficult for you so when you are in a situation where you can't leave you're going to have a panic attack you're going to make yourself ill you're going to make the people around you hate you and you're going to disrupt the world around you just because you feel like you can't control yourself in a situation yeah so i didn't leave i left with my family 3 days later um i had to wait at Karachi International Airport which shouldn't really even be an international airport for 7 hours because the flight was delayed and they had one modern toilet and one old toilet with the old toilet being a hole in the ground and the modern toilet being a modern toilet modern toilet was blocked so all of what I my worst nightmares 
like were materializing. Um, I got home and um, I just realized that like, okay, this is something that is real, you know. Uh, what I went through was not normal in terms of normal in the sense that it it is normal to happen, but it's not normal in the sense of like what my I saw how I saw the world and how things were existing, right? Yeah. So so um I came home and then it wasn't actually until um where we actually became a bit closer, which was uh the Liverpool trip mm-hmm. in first year. Um, and that week was really difficult for me because uh, I was I knew the next week after I was having my first counselling session mm-hmm. um, and I was going to th- through some things and I didn't there was people on that trip that I didn't particularly want to talk to who were you know um, there was a lot of things like social obligations uh, during that trip like going out and stuff like that that I didn't really want to do um, and so um, I was just I just kind of like hold up in a ball and just stayed in my hostel room um, I didn't really do much but then when I went to counselling I was at counselling for five months and that really and that's where I got that kind of Boris bike story from and yeah. all those things but I think when I had these tools I went to study abroad and that was a great experience and then that's when I started my blog when I came yeah. back from study abroad um, and there was a point in uh, April 2018 where I was going through things that, you know, even now I probably couldn't articulate because yeah. just points in my life where it's just like, well, I feel awful and I feel mm. empty and I feel, but I can't tell why. And I was writing my blog, right? And I was, st- yeah. I was being vulnerable, and, but that wasn't, that wasn't enough. So I wanted to speak to someone. And I texted some, some friends and none of them were available. Mm-hmm. So then that's when I realized that you know, I'm an only child. Um, I've had to depend on my parents and I've had to depend mostly on myself for a very long time. Yeah. So this is where I brought this idea of kind of individual resilience. So yeah. there's, most people will tell you that the, the way to, you know, work through your problems is by talking to other people. Yeah. And I agree with that. But you've got to realize at points there's not going to be anyone there yeah 100 percent. i couldn't agree with that more there's no one going to be there there's no one who's going to understand and also believe it or not no one really cares <laughs> right like genuinely yeah like people say oh yeah talk you hear this classic phrase text me if you need anything what that actually means is don't text me because i will i will help you but only on my on my time right so or i'll be there for you if you need me if you need anything from me let me know what that means is if it's convenient to me, I'll help you. If it's not convenient to me, I can't help you. Which is fair, right? It's fair enough. But what that tells me is that if I'm in a point of panic and I need someone, right, who can I rely on the most? The answer is myself. And that's where I get this individual. So my experience is actually very different to that, that doctor um, who came in and spoke to you. Because he was... He wasn't, but the thing is, I suppose he wasn't dealing with his emotions, right? He was bottling them up inside, being the man. Whereas what I do is I tell everyone about my emotions, but it's just their choice to read it or care about it. But I, the reason I do it is for myself. Mm-hmm. And I do it for 
uh, soul searching for myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm very open and very, you know, as you mentioned, very open and vulnerable. And you know, anyone who's listening to this now can feel free to read the 400 plus blogs I've written <laughs> over the last two and a half years, one and a half years. Yeah. Um, each one. So tries to get into a little bit about what I was thinking yeah. that day and how I felt um, and I publish it every day um, for the world to see and for me that is the most it's the most liberating thing Yeah. because my philosophy on that is that if the whole world knows your problems then who can hurt you mm-hmm. if you're the only one who knows your issues then if someone finds out that's your worst nightmare but what if everyone knows what if you tell everyone? Yeah. Where's the fear? And actually, from people I've spoken to, and even, you know, the fact that you're doing this podcast now, you know, shows that you can be vulnerable. You can control the amount of vulnerability that you give away. Yeah. You can keep some for yourself. And I'm not saying that I'm completely vulnerable and I don't keep things for myself because there are certainly things that I do. Yeah. But generally speaking, I'm very open. I try to be. Um, and I, I encourage actually everyone to, to do the same for their own forsaken for their own prosperity so with that you know when you were saying like that you felt suicidal so when you felt like that did you feel like you could i'm sorry that you even felt like that in the first place but did you feel like you had anyone that you could speak to about it or how did you how did you i guess manage to overcome that um well my family has a history of like South Asian families have very big histories of like depression and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think my parents and my uncle, um, who is a very astute man, um, realized that there was not something right here in terms of the way I was thinking about it. Yeah. And they're the ones who dra- basically dragged me to this psychiatrist. Um, so it wasn't, I didn't know what the problem was. I thought yeah. I was just ill. And because I was thinking about it so irrationally, yeah. that was just a product of being ill because mm-hmm. that's how I'd imagined being ill in Pakistan all the other times. So the fact that they noticed that something was different and um, it wasn't so much anything to do with me, um, it was more to do with um, how that was having an effect on other people. Mm-hmm. And then that's how I got dragged. And then it was the realization from that meeting that I had with that person to realizing that, you know, I, I may as well stay because it's going to cost, you know, money that we can't afford anyway to go home and I'm going to have to take the flight alone anyway. Yeah. So that's even worse. Um, and then I'm going to get home and then what am I going to do? Um, so, no, um, I didn't really feel like I had to talk to anyone really I didn't really think there was a problem mm. and because I was such in a delirious state and it wasn't really actually until uh, I went to Liverpool and I realized that literally no one here I can talk to this about because I don't think anyone cares and I genuinely believe that's still the case I think if I had talked to anyone there at that trip as much as they're great people right um, it's just not something that comes up. It's not something that you can openly discuss. You know, hi there, I'm having a panic attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't really, you know, proclaim that to the world because then you get put in the category of people who, you know... Need attention. People who need attention or people who need to be in some sort of, like, institutional facility. Yeah. You know? So I... To answer your question, no. Um, but... Um, 
the actual need to talk to someone mm. very much dissipated after that experience I had yeah. in um, and I think it's important to initially talk to people yeah but I think as you go further along everyone feels like they're burdening people right yeah like when you talk to you know even we're having this conversation now right I you know as, as much as I've talked about this openly I still feel like I'm burdening whoever's listening to no, this and, and you right but doing things that have this kind of um, external value which is is hard to quantify right and, yeah. and that's why people don't don't really talk about it too often but I think it's I think it's important to speak up about it and and be vulnerable and and on that I mean I was having a conversation with a, a friend yesterday um, and uh, they um, they opened up uh, right and but the only reason they opened up is because I asked the question mm -hmm. people don't ask questions because people just think everything's fine yeah um, and I wrote my blog about it yesterday I said be curious ask the question if you genuinely care about that person mm -hmm. you should ask how they are or why they are like they are see I agree with you but then I also think that it's important to have these conversations like I think I think it's good that we're talking about this now like to not feel like you're being a burden to someone because it's so easy to just isolate yourself or feel bit bitter towards everyone else because they don't realize what you're going through when actually the reason for why you feel so alone is because you're making yourself feel alone when in reality there are so many people who are experiencing the same thing yeah. and with opening these conversations obviously there is a difference between people who you can trust who will genuinely genuinely listen and the people who act like they care when like you said it's only when it's convenient to them but i think the more we have these conversations and the more we put ourselves in that vulnerable position where we try to talk about it people will slowly and gradually feel like it's not embarrassing to talk about these things if that makes sense like with me making this podcast at the beginning I was really scared and even now I kind of feel like the things that I want to talk about I'm still really scared to put it out there like I've been practicing what you told me to do which is you know every day at the end of work kind of record and reflect on how my day's been and when I listen back to it I feel embarrassed to post it online because I kind of think people are just going to think I'm overly emotional and like I don't know how to control my behavior and my mind I'm just letting my thoughts get the better of me because when I listen to it I kind of I think the same thing about myself so how can I put it out there for other people to listen to like this week I practiced it and I could hear it was literally like a roller coaster because the first day I I could hear my voice breaking and then the next day I sound really good and then the day after I sound you know vulnerable and miserable again but how do I put that out there to the rest of the world because they're just what if people turn around and say you're just looking for attention you just want people to to message you and say are you okay which is not the point of it but that's what scares us like being vulnerable putting those layers away, like breaking all those barriers down and putting yourself out there that's really scary but I think the more we do it we realize that actually there are some people out there who genuinely care and will put in the time for you. And it's not about a matter of convenience, but a matter of the fact that they just love you and want to help you where they can. Um, and with that, actually, in terms of talking, I think one thing that really helped me, which I want to kind of encourage more of, is using the services that are out there. Um, 
because when I felt like I couldn't talk to anyone about it, especially like you said, um, in the Asian community, sometimes things like mental health and depression, it kind of gets brushed under the, under the rug. It's it's not really recognized as, as an actual experience. It's kind of um, justified by your everyday experiences and things that you're going through. Um, but when I went through that, I had a day when I felt like you, I felt like I couldn't speak to anyone about it. There's no one that's going to understand. I might message someone to listen to me and they'll reply when it works best for them. But I was so, it was kind of like you, I kind of felt like I became so numb. I didn't care about myself. I didn't care what would happen to me. Um, and I had to, I had to speak to someone though. I couldn't keep it boiled in. I, I felt like I was going to explode. Um, and I called Samaritans. Mm -hmm. So I called up. Um, I actually called two places. I called one place and I, I, I felt like I, I wasn't getting the response that I needed. I didn't, I wasn't, it felt like it was a very long process to get through to an actual person, um, which felt too long for me because I had to call, then I had to explain like what it is that I'm looking for, dial that number, then get through it. And in that process, I'm still having a panic attack. Mm. So it feels like hell. Yeah. Um, but when I called Samaritans, it's literally like they just picked up straight away. It was this really lovely lady across the phone. I don't know her so that felt even better because I could just speak to her um, and I just let go of everything like all of my worries everything that I'm going through I was crying to her over the phone and she just sat there and she just listened and I think that's great I think that's one way that you can you can treat it as well like you don't have to think that you don't have to have human contact because I think just as humans, we always, even though you can kind of deal with the situation by yourself and that does make you a lot stronger, you also do need people at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I don't know, personally, that's just how I see it. Like I can't, I can't not have a conversation with someone. Mm -hmm. um, so I called up, spoke to her and I think it was like for a whole hour, I was just sitting on a bench in a park and just crying to her and then at one point I just ran out of things to say but I didn't want her to stop talking and uh, to stop listening to me so she just said if you need me to just sit here on the phone with you in silence I'm also happy to do that and I just literally just sat there for a good 15 minutes not saying anything just crying and she was just sitting there and then she was like are you okay now and I was like I'm a lot better because I felt so much lighter just getting it out there and I think that helps like I think even though I agree with you I think even though I I agree that you, you are the only person that can help yourself because that is true like no one understands your brain no one is in your headspace mm -hmm. at the end of the day people can tell you anything that they want but you're the only person that can organize your the space in your mind mm -hmm. like no one else can go in there and fix that for you so in that sense I agree with you like I think um, you are the only person that can fix your situation mm -hmm. but you can use it use the resources and the help around you as well and I think we need to get out of that mindset of thinking that we can't go to people for help. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to kind of like become bitter and think that the whole world is against you and no one understands. But once you get rid of that and you try to accept that there are people out there, it helps a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, just like, it's like a physical thing, you know, um, you know, with the recording, mm -hmm. it's like when I have noise in my brain, the reason for why I have that noise is because it has no avenue to get out. Mm -hmm. It has no, it's always there and it's always staying there. But when I record it on my phone, I feel like it's all coming out mm -hmm. of my mouth mm -hmm. and into my phone. Mm -hmm. Like I can physically see it, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like I can see it. Or when I'm writing, like when I'm writing in my diary, I, I have like this noise page that I have. Mm -hmm. So in my diary at the back of my book, I have a, a page where I literally write noise mm -hmm. and I circle it. And then it's like my brain vomits onto the page. Mm -hmm. 
and I write everything like I don't know what's going on why do I feel like this I feel so scared blah 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 like everything mm-hmm. is on that page mm-hmm. and then I just leave it there and mm-hmm. I don't look at it for a while mm-hmm. but I feel like my bra- brain's just become so much lighter I don't mm-hmm. know if it's just a psychological thing mm-hmm. um, and then afterwards I'll look back at the page again and I'll see okay this is what the noise in my head looks like mm-hmm. which part of it is rational mm-hmm. and which part of it is it mm-hmm. and that helps me kind of come to terms with my own headspace mm-hmm. but I wanted to have a talk about men's mental health because I feel like women like writing in diaries quite a lot mm-hmm. but I have I don't know if that's something that men do I, I don't know if they feel embarrassed to do certain things or whether it's just to do with you know being masculine mm-hmm. and like certain things that come across as feminine mm-hmm. um but yeah like all of my female colleagues they write in diaries mm-hmm. like a lot of them but i haven't ever seen a man do that or like i don't i don't know what avenues you guys use to kind of deal with your hardships so i don't know what would you say about that um i think i, I want to touch on a point that you made about the point that you made about the seeking help because i think it's important but Growing up, from personal experience, growing up, I had a very bad sort of like tendency because mm-hmm. I grew up as an only child. So yep. I had a people pleasing tendency. Okay, yeah. And that people pleasing tendency can very easily fit into an addictive personality, right? Because you're constantly seeking validation for things, right? So my only concern with talking to, um, people on you know is that you become addicted to that experience whether that be um and i think men probably might suffer from this a bit more than women from a like an addictive personality personality um but personally that's what held me back because i knew that if i had that thing then i'd see that as an escape Mm -hmm. and for me i think there's a lot of things that are short term and there are a lot of things that are long term i think for example this podcast is an example of a long-term way to deal with things that you're going through uh, i think of diaries another example i think of blogs another example i think talking to people is uh it could be long term but the possibility of it actually going continuously long term is dependent on someone else yeah yeah 100 so for me personally that's why i am so big on individual because yeah. it's long term because you've got to live with yourself right yeah, yeah. you came in so i i agree with everything you say mm. and it's not that i disagree it's yeah. more that i think there's a difference between short term and long term yeah. and for me i'm very interested in the long term whether that might not work in the short term um, and you only see the benefits of that down the road um but for me that's of utmost importance to when i speak to people about their mental health as well as when i talk about my own yeah so yeah i do agree but i that would i don't think that would have worked for me because yeah. i would have been like oh i can just call this number whenever i want <laughs> and then i'm like uh, this is probably not helping me either you know and and so the blog was a way to yeah. honestly the the reason i started the blog was because i'm half decent at writing and uh that's just the way that i had always creatively had my output yeah. i can't draw uh, I cannot eat, I can't draw a person. I can draw stickmen. They're, they're not going to help me <laughs> yeah. with anything, you know. So the one thing I could do is express myself somewhat poetically through writing. Yeah. Um, and you know. No, I I, I I can relate to that. Yeah. So 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 to answer your second question about what men do, well, men don't do anything, right? Like men talk to 
from my experience, I've had very, very good conversations with men about mental health when they've just been like, you know what, like, I can't... It's, it's also the type of person, right? And the type yeah. of group that you're in. Mm. I have tried to stay as much as possible away from the lad group, right? Because that's not who I am. I, you know, I'm not that character. I'm actually quite... I'm more, I'm more of a teddy bear character than kind of a brash character. I don't try and act anything that I'm not. So the conversations I've then had are with people who are also like me. Mm-hmm. So the conversations are easier. And actually, I, I haven't, the men that I've spoken to about it have not actually, it's not actually felt like it's a barrier. Yeah. So in a way, these are more like woke people, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I have also talked to people who are, would fit into this kind of lad category. And mm-hmm. I have talked to them about mental health. And I've talked to them about what they do. And they say that they keep it bottled up. They say they talk to me or other people once in a while about it. And I just tell them the same thing. Get what are you what what do you enjoy? What do you enjoy doing? And they say, Oh, I enjoy going to the pub. Okay, what do you enjoy doing that doesn't involve other people? Yeah. And that's when they get stuck. And I think this relates also to the point that you made earlier about, you know, at the end of the day there's a human involved either on the other side or whatever. But what about if you're an only child? Or what about your if you're unsociable? Or what about if you just don't like you yeah. know, you like your own company? Mm. Then where where is that? So finding that thing that's individual does help. Yeah. Um I think it's also difficult for me to talk from the eight South Asian community because I basically didn't grow up in the South Asian community. I grew up in a white neighborhood. I um, I literally grew up around lad culture all the time, like the proper sort of like what we, when you think about lad culture, that's literally what I grew up around. So mental health wasn't a big thing there. Um, and it was only when I came to university where I started to really talk about it with people. So I think generally the trend is that if someone initiates a conversation, people will talk about it. Mm. But if no one, if people just leave it, people will leave it. Yeah. So it's a matter of like, I can't go into every group of friends in the country and say like, let's have a conversation about mental health because I don't have the time um, and <laughs> don't have the money or whatever. Right. But I think it's important that if you are feeling something that you can feel like you can start a conversation with someone in the group. Right. And what that conversation is is not so much about sharing your own experience yeah. but actually listening to yeah. others yeah so i'm when when i say like getting you know get into a conversation i don't mean just burden everyone with your problems <laughs> yeah. right but allow other people to burden their problems mm. on you mm. because that those problems don't affect you generally um unless they are somewhat related to your own vulnerabilities with that i think it's like you know when you're having those conversations you don't want to feel. I think often the problem with sharing things with people is you don't want to come across as the person who's always talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. Does that do you know what I mean? Like you don't want to be the buzzkill in the group, the one that's always talking about those things. Um, but I think it's a matter of having more of these conversations, like you said, like being able to be that person that introduces that topic in a group scenario you know when you were saying like you grew up in a white kind of community surrounded by lad culture i actually think there's a lot of that in the asian community like there's too much of it because a lot of my friends that are guys for example they feel they feel okay with i guess sometimes opening up to their female friends because i don't know maybe it's something to do with 
like the fact that they're not sharing it with a man mm-hmm. um but when it comes to actually talking with their boys that's not something that they do because they don't want to come across as a certain way um but what i'm trying to practice now and i think a lot of people should practice that it's not something that's embarrassing it's actually genuinely asking people how are you mentally when you're having a conversation that's what i try to do now like fit that in within the conversation like yeah your day is going great and you're doing this and you're doing that but how are you mentally how are you actually in your headspace because when you ask someone that that's when they stop for a moment and they're like actually da 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 yeah. and that's when they open up and they talk about it but people won't just start talking to you straight away because like you said like me and you we both found it quite difficult to speak to people because we didn't know who wanted to listen and who didn't but if we as individuals become more aware of the people around us and just take a moment to think let me be someone's help today and just ask them how are you mentally physically how are you feeling in your headspace it's okay i'm here for you i'm letting you be vulnerable right now yeah. then people feel like they can talk about it and that's when people can kind of offload yeah but i think that's one thing that i wanted to kind of share in the podcast encourage people to do like it's not it's not you know bad to be able to talk about your mental health and share that with your friends because actually are you even friends if you can't talk about those things to them mm-hmm. that's what I, that's what i kind of realized like i'm really thankful for my friends because actually alhamdulillah like i can sit with them and when i'm having a bad day i can open up to them and talk to them about it mm-hmm. but even then sometimes i do feel like i'm a burden and i don't talk about it and right. i just keep it to myself sure. but i think within the the groups that guys are in mm-hmm. some guys are very fortunate and they can sit and talk to their friends about that but in most cases what i've seen is that's not what they do that's not that's not how it works you don't talk about you don't yeah. talk about emotions yeah <laughs> I, I would, i'd add on to that you know the question the asking the questions uh, is something that i was thinking about really at the start of the year and a question that i was trying kind of at the back end of last year with people which i think you should also try is what's been on your mind recently yeah yeah instead of because the problem with how are you mentally or how are you feeling is it still in the same category of like ah oh, i'm all right you know like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. still it still starts the same way as like you know like when someone yeah. goes how you're like oh yeah i'm all right, right? <laughs> yeah, you yeah. already know like what the question is so how are you feeling and then you have to say mentally and then they have to think and then they might not know how to answer it yeah but what's been on your mind recently is really open and yeah. it's something i was I like asking that. people and I, I encourage other people to do the same um because what that does it allows them to tell you like they, they they might be stressed about something and then you can talk about that stress rather than be like how are you feeling or yeah, like, mentally yeah, yeah. like oh i haven't really ever thought about that but i know what's on my mind you yeah, know so yeah, so yeah. that's that's something i'd i'd, I'd um, but going back to what um you were saying about you know what men do the thing is men men groups are it depends how close they are as well right um, and it also depends how clicky they are. I don't personally do very well in groups. I prefer one-on-ones. I've realized that from um, from going through, you know, uh, having a bit of independence and all those sorts of things and being in groups and realizing, you know, I don't feel like I belong in groups um, and things like that. So in certain groups, there are certain types of conversations that happen, right? Mm. And they are standard conversations. They are about politics. They are about whatever you're doing there are you know they are these very emotive and, yeah. and passionate sort of conversations right um and in those conversations if you're aware enough you can start to see yeah. where the cracks are 
right? Because if someone starts to get really emotional about something that seems very small, that might be a sign that they are somewhat vulnerable about that area or something like that. So an example is like uh, climate change, right? So there's now, you know, the American Psychological um, Association defined eco-anxiety as like a, a diagnosable um, disorder, right? So when people start talking about climate change now, if you ever see someone who's getting a very, very kind of emotional, they might be because they either study it or they like, but they might be because they have eco-anxiety and asking the question of like, what can I do to help you here? Or what, how can I support you? So what is, uh, so what is um, eco-anxiety? Like how? Well, I think, for, I haven't read the definition, definition, but I think it's to do with, uh, from people who have explained it to me, is that the fact that it's the hopelessness about climate change, that we can't personally solve it. And the anxiety attached to the hopelessness. Okay, is yeah. That that's kind of what causes that. Um, and the fact that p- other it's almost and it, because you're dependent on something else to happen that you have no control over. I think it's a lack of control and it's a hopelessness about a situation that you is a much much bigger than yourself. Mm. When you see things about like Australian wildfires, or you see things about Californian wildfires, or you see things about IPCC have just said that we're going to go up another yeah. two degrees or whatever. That instills a sense of you like personal anguish and personal <laughs> yeah. right. Um, and so when we're having these conversations about important topics like yeah. climate change, if there are people who are getting very emotional about it, it's important to maybe not in the room because that's obviously awkward for everyone else. And, you know, that's one of the other things as well. We don't have to feel like we have to call people out on it. Yeah. We should feel like they should be confident enough to, we can set them aside and talk to them individually. They don't have to explain mm-hmm. their problems or their issues to the world. So, you know, asking them questions being curious about why they were getting so emotional about certain Mm. things it's important because it allows people the space to be vulnerable yeah yeah. because a lot of the time i'm sure you've done it i've definitely done it where you're talking about something and you're trying to get something across to the other person (laughs) in basically code words and the code you only understand the code right (laughs) yeah no one else like no one's got like an enigma like machine like like, no one can do it right and so and able to to get that across, you're hoping that that person, you know, kind picks of gets up. it, yeah. yeah. And if we're not aware of these kind of like things like eco anxiety, if we're not aware of like um, other things to do with like human rights mm. or um, domestic violence or sexual abuse or all these sorts of things, then we're never gonna be able to ask people. And at the end of the day, I think people, especially this is, I think this is to do with men as well. People don't want to openly talk about it. They want people to ask them. Yeah. And once people ask, they're happy to share. Yeah. But they don't. They want to be given the the space. They yeah. want to be given the authority, and they want to be given. Um, I think they want to just be given the opportunity. Mm. And once you've given the opportunity, they'll run with it because. Um, I think yeah. I mean, I don't openly talk about my mental health really unless someone asks me. Yeah, I mean, same. my own personal mental health, you know, I write it in a blog, but mm. that blog's for me. So I'm, I'm giving myself the license to do that. Yeah. But if someone asks me, oh, Dan, how, you know, how are you feeling today? Because I've trained myself for that answer to be about mental health, I will just sh- share about mental health, right? But for other people, how are you feeling today? Oh, I'm all right. It's actually really hard to, to 
you produce the words though if you think about it like yeah. it's really it's really difficult because yeah. in your head you know exactly what's got what's going through your head but when it comes to actually producing the words to describe what you're going through it's actually really hard mm -hmm. it's really difficult um because even with like the thing that you said with the practicing and like saying it out loud yeah. it's so hard yeah. it's genuinely really difficult so when you're having a conversation with someone like even today when you asked me how are you i found it really difficult to say it to you because yeah. i could say it to myself in my head and i know exactly because i have conversations with myself in my head but when you have to say it out loud it, it comes out completely different to how you want it to be even even if you're saying it to yourself right like i mean so when you're saying it to yourself in your head it makes sense <laughs> no, but, but that's also different when you're saying yeah, yeah, to, yeah, exactly. to yourself onto a phone mm. right so the articulation that happens between your brain and out yeah. right, even if you're still talking to yourself it gives the words power you yeah. know and that's the problem once the words have power you can't take them away <laughs> yeah, right? so everything we're saying in this right whatever if you edit it if you don't i don't care but everything we're saying we're giving those words those giving those emotions power and once we've given them power it's that's out there. it right and we can't do anything about it yeah and that's the fear but actually once you do that you feel a lot better than you feel like a weight is mm. and the same when you called the samaritans and you had that conversation all it all you were doing was you were taking what you felt saying it out loud to someone who you know um has is being paid or not paid to sit there and listen mm. and all that's happened is you've authorized and rationalized whatever was in your head out into the world yeah and that's all that's I happened agree with that that's all that's happened not the world hasn't moved it hasn't stopped for you no one genuinely no <laughs> one cares but what you've done is you've allowed yourself to authoritize what you are thinking. Yeah. And what that does is allows you to do wonderful things with it. Feel very clear about where you want to go and all this. And I think if men kind of realize that just by talking about it to themselves, even just recording themselves saying it. It does. It feels it, really silly at the beginning. But yeah. if you can actually get into the habit of doing it, yeah. Yeah. it helps. It, 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 it's helped me. And, and, that, and now, and now, this is how crazy I've got, right? <laughs> Instead of thinking about it in my head, um, I've got I've got this notebook mm. that I've got because I've realised that um, you know when I'm out and about I think a lot. I'm I'm a chronic same, overthinker. Same, same, right? same. But what's the worst thing I can do? I, the worst thing I can do is keep it in my head. So what do I do? I've got this notebook, um, and when you're talking next, I'll bring it out. But I've got this notebook, and I write my thoughts in there, right? And I write like because I've got a pen. And I'm just like, because one of the one of the hardest things is like, oh, I don't know where to put this. Where do I put this? So I say it to myself. <laughs> yeah. So if you've got like a notebook, you just write things down. And I'm happily happy. You to know, what? I'm so I love this podcast just for this reason because you meet so many people who do exactly the same thing as you. I have my book in my bag too. I've, yeah. I do exactly the same thing every morning. I wake up and. I literally just write down my emotions. I just write down what I'm feeling. I don't write it like dear diary, blah blah blah, right. because then you have to full, full, like form full sentences. Yeah. What I do is I just literally do bullet points and I say X Y Z X Y Z X Y Z. And you know what? It's a really good way to do things because you can also reflect and look back on it afterwards. Yeah. And you can see your own personal development and growth, which I personally feel like has really helped me because where I am today, mm -hmm. I was in such 
a bad position just a few months ago. Like I felt like I wouldn't even be able to make it through a few months. Yeah. But now that I've where I am today, it's like I'm not I'm not quite there yet. I'm not quite feeling the way that I want to be, but I am so much better than where I was just a few months ago. So and where, I can, where do you want to be? I want to feel normal again. (laughs) What does does normal feel like? Before I started working, like it's this, um, just a calm in my head. Okay, and and so by calm, because when I knew I feel normal today. Today I feel like I'm fine. Okay, how I used to feel. Okay, yeah, but even before when you were at uni, like you were still like a busybody. You're still like no. So I I like being busy. I'm a I'm a busy person. I like keeping myself busy, but busy with things I actually like. Is it clarity of thought to do so is it that so things can be in your head that's mm. not a problem yeah, yeah, yeah but the thoughts in your head are clear rather than muddled is yeah. that what like yeah. normal feels like yeah my head headspace has never been as messy and as noisy as it has been over the past few months right, like before okay. i've been able to have rational thoughts have an organized kind of headspace and it's just been clear i don't know how to explain it but yeah. like my headspace has been clear and now recently it feels like it's just cloudy yeah. and foggy yeah and i can't quite get rid of it right and i'm trying so many different things like i'm trying to do it through my writing through my talking and it's just sometimes it feels like it's so temporary like it lasts for the moment that i'm speaking like it will last for as long as this podcast is being recorded sure and then i'll go back home and all of that noise will just jump back into my brain again sure but the only way that I can fix that is, like you said, I can only fix it by doing something for myself. I can't sit here pitying myself. Yeah. I have to actually do something about it. So, you know, like the other day when I went to Queen Mary and I spoke on the alumni panel, yeah. that was me doing something that would help me clear my headspace. Sure. Sure. Like for those few hours, I was sitting there speaking to the students about my experience, giving them advice. Mm. I felt like I was myself again. Yeah. And then I finished that and then the next day I went back into work and I sat at the office and my anxiety, I could just, like anxiety feels like a, this dark figure that just comes and like wraps itself around you and you can physically feel it coming. Yeah. You can literally feel it from the moment it's approaching when it's far away to yeah. when it actually comes and just consumes well, you. Well, they say it starts from the stomach. For me, it feels like it's starting from the back. Okay. Like I can feel it. There's it's a like book. a person, you know, like a shadow, yeah. like someone who's coming up behind you. You can't quite turn around and see who it is, but it's there. Yeah. It's like that. And it's like it's wrapped itself around me. Yeah. So that's what it feels like mostly. Yeah. But when I'm not doing that and I'm doing something that I'm like energized by, yeah. I don't feel that it's gone away. And I yeah. feel like I'm not giving it the power to come and consume me. Yeah. There's a book that you should um, read called uh, Gut Feminism, mm-hmm. which is about, it talks about how mental health is like basically starts from the stomach and if you're feeling uneasy in the stomach that gives you anxiety and like things like that so um yeah that's a i came across it in my one of my courses this this year um but i have i want to if you don't mind i'll share yeah go ahead go ahead one of my things and i think this is from a um this is from the 11th of december 2019 if you want to just um, speak and yeah so yeah, so this is from 11th of December 2019, and it's written at 4.01 in the <laughs> afternoon. And it was like, when you realise sharing on social media is not to share memories with friends, and, it, and that generally no one cares, and it may not still be apparent that engagement is only for two reasons, uh, reciprocity and, comp- and uh, comparisons. I can't even read my own handwriting. 
and, and they combined cause a lot of body image issues as well as lifestyle design changes. So it was just a random thought that I had had that means nothing to no one, means probably nothing to anyone that's on. But at that time, I just felt so strongly about that, mm. that if I had not got that out on paper <laughs> and not written this like random note to myself that I then don't put in like a um, database that yeah. I have, right? Then I would have been like thinking about it. And then I would have thought at the end of the day, oh, do you know what? I had a really good thought about that. And I could probably use that somewhere else later in the future. But I didn't give myself the license because I didn't have this little geography book that I got from the British Library to be able to do that. So yeah. that, 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 that's, I think, little things like that. Just giving yourself a space and also giving other people the space, right? I, whenever I go and see my um, friends who are guys and stuff, I just say to them, look, um, you, know, you know, if you need to talk anything about anything, you can but what's been on your mind recently. Yeah. And that's something that I've been doing more and more so. And I think that's what people should do. Yeah. Um, and just be curious. Like just then when I asked you like, oh, what is that like space? Like how does that feel? Like how yeah. can you describe that? Because I genuinely want to know and I actually want you to tell me kind of rather than me tell you what I think. So I think asking those questions is definitely the way forward. You know like how um, writers get writer's block? Yes. I think that's what we experience when we're trying to... That's a very good way to... Verbalise what we're going through. That's a very good way to... Because it's... Like, you know exactly... Even when we're... I don't know if you experience the same thing. You know, like when you're writing your blog? Mm. Do you sometimes just sit there and you go, I've written it. And it gets the point across, but it doesn't get the point across in exactly the way that... I'm trying to say it in my head. Yeah. And then when you form that sentence and it's like, yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. You feel that satisfaction because you feel like you've put it exactly to words yeah. in the way that you've said it. But when it comes to saying things out loud, it's like it's like you said, you only have that one opportunity to say it. And then once you said it, you can't edit it. Yeah. So I think that's what's difficult as well. Like being able to form your words and not feel silly at the same time. You know, like with the um, diary mm. and stuff like that, I think a lot of people feel silly doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, like just... Because it's a physical act, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's being actually able to pull out a book, sit down, write down inside it. And even if no one's watching you, you still can feel silly. Mm-hmm. Um, like sometimes what I do is I'll, I'll walk in uh, to the bathroom when I'm feeling down and I'll just talk to myself in the mirror. I just literally give myself that that yeah, yeah. that boost that I need. Like yeah, I just look at myself and I'll be like, "Look at you today. You don't look like yourself." And then I talk to myself and I say, "Look, go back and remember to back back then when you were doing this." And I just literally be my own yeah. go-to person. But it's like being able to admit that. Yeah, <laughs> like it's I, hard. I feel silly being able to say that to you right now because I'm thinking, "Is he gonna think like what the hell?" Yeah, wait, hold it, hold it. I'm gonna leave. <laughs> that's what, that's what I'm <laughs> um, but yeah. Like being able to do certain things for yourself and not feel like you need to justify why you're doing it, well, but just to like, be able to doing it for yourself. You don't, yeah, that's the thing. You don't like we're having this conversation because we feel like we have the ability to talk about these things, yeah. right? But people who do these things, right? Whatever you weird things you get up to, <laughs> right? It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, most people don't care, right? Like there's only a select few people who do. And those people also probably don't need to know what you do, right? But as long as you're fine and you do things to make yourself, allow yourself to just dump whatever you're feeling out of whatever and just put it out into something rather than it being in your own head, Mm. 
that's all that matters. And at the end of the day, all that one need, like it's it it should become something like brushing your teeth, right? You brush your teeth because you've been told to, but you also kind of think, yeah, you know, I don't want to have bad breath, or <laughs> you know, I want to feel like I'm somewhat alive today, or whatever, right? It should just be something like just put it out there and just say it or write it or something. It should become daily practice and it should be something that we feel comfortable doing. The reason it's not is due to the fact that no one talks about it or no one did talk about it um, for at least the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Yeah, I think it's only something that's recently come about, like since we've graduated that people are talking about mental health. Otherwise, like before mental health, I didn't even know what it was. Yeah, so, and and also then with those people who don't understand what mental health is, don't empathise with it, not not throwing it down their throats and saying, you know... You know, and and this was the problem with, and I think the misunderstood argument with with veganism, which is that vegans generally don't want everyone to be vegan. They just <laughs> want to show you that this is a different way of living, and so this is what we need to do with mental health. We need to just talk about it, have these conversations. And I agree, and I'm really thankful that you invited me on to talk about it, and then just. Almost what you did, you know, which you've been sharing on your Instagram story and things like that. Like people come to you. You don't have to go to people. <laughs> people will come to you if they feel strongly and if they see what you're doing and they feel like, oh, do you know what? That person gets it, or that I can listen to that person. That gives people the space because you're being open, because you're being vulnerable. That gives people the space, and that's all we need to do. That's all we can do. And um, yeah, no, it's. It makes me feel good every time I have these conversations. Yeah. But I think what's more important is that these conversations are leading to more conversations. Yeah, yeah. And these conversations are hopefully leading into people having their own way of dealing with this. Yeah. And feeling like, you know, I've had conversations with a good friend of mine who just can't... He just kept, keeps getting himself into the same situation over and over and over again. And he asked me, oh, why, why is this? I said, well, you're still thinking about it in the same way. And we have these conversations, but I don't know if you're really listening. And he was like, okay, how do I listen? I said, right, don't interrupt. And let me just say what I'm going to say. He listened to it and he was like, do you know what? That makes sense. And I was like, how did that not make sense before? And he was like, well, you didn't listen to it before. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. And then, you know... I'm sure in six months' time, he's going to tell me again that this, you know, he's got the same same issue. But for that moment, at least, he realised that these were the sorts of things that he has to think about. And he can go on his own way trying to help himself deal with that. But having those conversations, being open about it, I'm, I'm all for it. I think I agree. Like, um, I think the, I wanted to talk about the men aspect of it so much because I literally agree with everything that you've said but you're literally the only guy that I know that openly talks about it Mm -hmm. Um, and I think with everything that you've said it relates so much to what I think more guys need to be implementing into their everyday lives um like when i when i go out and i see like the way that some 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 men behave like they're quite angry and frustrated and um like people it's really easy to misunderstand them because you know you'll speak to them about something or you'll ask them to do something and blah blah, blah and they'll just turn around and they'll burst in your face and they, they can sometimes be quite violent and they just and 
it's really easy to just look at them and just say like they're just they're just like that like just basically blame them for their behavior but actually if you think about it it's because they haven't been given like you said an avenue to talk about it if someone just went up to them and asked them about their emotions they could turn that anger into like you said vocalizing it and that would be a better avenue for them because i think with guys what happens is because they're te- they're expected to kind of bottle everything in yeah. that turns into something negative and because they can't express their emotions in the way that is healthy yeah. the way that w- most women do it mm. um they it turns into this package of like anger and resentment yeah. and then what they do is they basically take it out and so they still have an avenue because i think everyone has to have an avenue like yeah. but you know sometimes when you're it? bottling it in bottling it in bottling it in yeah. and then it grows it's like this it just grows and grows and grows and then you explode yeah. like you just let it all go but it's in the worst way possible yeah. so i think that's what i've seen mostly with guys like because they can't say it in um through a conversation and through a natural way they have to explode and it makes them very angry characters yeah. whereas the guys who are able to kind of articulate what they're going through and be able to have conversations with people because they want to and they talk about it but also they're asked about it yeah. they have a lot more healthy relationships with people yeah. um so yeah like i think i think what you said is like really good and i think it I hope so. I hope it will encourage more men yeah. to be able to practice the things that you've been doing like not because you've set an example to to not feel silly to open a diary and just to write down their emotions or speak to themselves or to write if they're creative yeah. in that kind of way or just find an avenue to get rid of what's in their head. Yeah. There's what you talked about was constructive versus destructive mm. avenues, right? Yeah. So the constructive is and I think, you know, one of the things that you, you know, you said was that if, I think if it comes from a guy asking another guy, look, look, mate, what's up? Like, what's going on? I think that triggers something that allows the guy to talk about it. Yeah. But when a f- girl asks a guy, what's up? Like, what do you want That, they get very defensive and very clammy because they feel like, oh, what? Hold on. Have I been like to whatever that mm. now you're asking me questions about how i feel it's like then they get all very defensive and you know i remember when people used to ask like girls used to ask me and like oh are you all right and i'm like yeah am i not supposed <laughs> to be all right like do i look not all right like i'll get really like self-conscious about mm. it but when a guy asks another guy they're like that is it's almost like a power dynamic it's yeah. like when a girl asks a guy it's like oh i'm supposed to be up here you know, and I'm supposed to be all the macho and whatever. I'm not going to tell you nothing because I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm real, I'm well good. I'm really good, you know? Yeah. And when a guy asks a guy, especially if they're good friends, they'll be like, oh, he's not trying to get one up on me. He's not trying to use this against me. You know, I can like be real with this person. And if they're like, wait, are you all right? Yeah. Really? Are you really? Oh, no, no, no. I've been feeling like X, Y, Z. And I think that's the thing. So I'd encourage guys to have these conversations with other guys, right? Yeah ask the questions and be curious just ask questions that you think so one of the questions i'll tell you this is a really weird question right when it comes to relationships right which that's a whole another can of worms yeah. that we can talk about another time <laughs> but one question i've been asking people who have constantly either been in relationships or um feel like they need to be in relationships i ask them is are you do you know your identity separate from something yeah. else right are you attaching your identity to a guy or to a girl mm-hmm. 
that's a very hard question for people who are attached to other things, right? And by asking that question, that's a very difficult question, but it's a very curious question. Yeah. You could get a very bad answer back. They'd be like, no, no, I don't, you know, you know. But then if you say, if, if you bring it up the next time you talk, and you're like, oh, why are you asking me the same question? Because you're not addressing the issue. And when you get the person to address the issue, that's when they can start to resolve what that issue is. Yeah. And that's what I've been doing. Asking the hard questions is sometimes <laughs> really, really, you feel like you're going in. But for the sake of that person's own mental health, sometimes you need to pry a little bit. Um, and that's why I'm happy to do it. And I kind of don't care. And if you have a problem with it, it's not my problem. <laughs> so yeah, I'd encourage people to ask curious questions, be curious, and only be curious actually if you care. If you don't care, don't ask. Because I don't ask people who I don't particularly talk to too much yeah. or don't care. You know, you know, it's hard. To, it's really weird to say that you don't care about some people, although you might see them often or whatever. But you've got to keep, you know, for me anyway, you've got to keep who you care about close and try to help them as much as possible. So I ask people I care about very, very weird questions all the time. And I hope they appreciate it. But <laughs> it's more so that, you know, we can have these more open conversations. Cool. So I think we had like a really good, <laughs> a good view. I, I, I'm not even keeping track of the time to be honest, but I think it's um, gone on quite a bit. But that was such a good conversation and I'm so glad that we've kind of, I feel like it was very honest and open and um, like raw and that's what I want to do with this podcast, just keep it as real as possible. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. I just want, uh, wanted to kind of like summarize our points, but I think I'd give the man in this podcast the chance to kind of do this. <laughs> you give me the opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to like summarize and like any kind of bits of advice that you would give to um, like fellow men on how to, I guess, deal with their own emotional, uh, mental health, well-being and anxiety um, and just anything that you think would be good to kind of summarize and end this podcast? Yeah, sure. So uh, once again, I've been really grateful to be on this and I hope people on here who are listening to this have got something from it that um, me and both Hamida uh, have shared. So I think to summarize, I think mental health is different for everyone, right? Whether you're a man, yeah. you're a woman, you're, you know, whatever, it's different for everyone. And my experience and Hamida's experience cannot be equated to everyone else's yeah. experience. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is for men in particular, start conversations, be curious, but only with the people that you care about. And after those conversations, do some kind of uh, reflection and make sure you continue that work. Because once you've started the conversation, that's the hard bit. The, the easy bit is to continue it and do, so find something that you enjoy, whether that being playing football with yourself or like, you know, writing. I mean, I think everyone can, everyone can write. I think everyone has to write and doing it in a more creative way. Um, and I'm more than happy to um, uh, be there for anyone who needs needs that support but do something creative whether that painting um, even that's just talking to yourself public speaking do things that scare you do things that like just be the person that you feel comfortable most comfortable with because that's normally the person who uh, will be the most vulnerable so yeah to summarize I think we've talked about those sorts of things I think we've talked about different stories from different perspectives but um, I think at the end of the day everyone you know the final thing to say i guess is everyone everyone knows themselves the best and you know how you're going to get through whatever you're going through uh, there are people there to support you but at the end of the day it's up to you to you know live with yourself and um i'm more than happy to support those people but i hope this has been really helpful for them
Cool. So again, thank you so much for coming in and having this conversation. And that's it for this week. Um, thank you so, so much, guys, for listening and for just lending an ear. I hope that what we've been talking about has been interesting to you guys. Um, feel free to kind of get in touch and let me know what you thought about this episode, if there's anything that you kind of agree with or if there's anything that you do differently that you think you know other, others would benefit from. And yeah, I'm always happy to kind of listen to different people's ideas and have those conversations Um, but yeah that's it for this week thank you take care guys and I will talk to you guys soon bye